Last time on the Bestow Curse podcast, our heroes braved a plagued crowd to recover Ashani's notes, met with Cressida and some new Chelish doctors on the plague, and cured the child Brienne of her illness. They began exploring the sunken, mysteriously cargo-light plague ship, but encountered a hag who had taken residence among the debris with ominous words for Sylvie. Will this witchy woman make our heroes meet an early watery grave? The Cursed Campaign continues now. Great to be back on Bestow Curse, a two-week conversion of Curse of the Crimson Throne. You know what we don't talk about at all on Bestow Curse? And I'm just going to say it mm-hmm. briefly at the top of this episode. We never promote that we are Paizo official podcast and have oh, yeah. a Patreon. Oh, wow. We don't. We never tell people that <laughs> we have a Patreon exclusive show. Mm-hmm. And people in here probably didn't tune in for our charity stream where we announced that we're going to be playing Iron Fang Invasion converted to 2E on our Patreon feed. Oh, yeah. So if you like this, then and you're 40 episodes in, so I, I would hope you do, you're going to like that too. I'm running it. Haley's running yeah. it. The party is all leshies. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good time. All leshy. What's that called, Griffin? Speak with plants, baby. Ooh. Coming to your ear holes in a couple of months after we finish up Malevolence. If you like that, hit up the Patreon. We got that. And yeah, we got Malevolence that's finishing up too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got 20 episodes of Malevolence you can listen to right now. And a bunch of other trash. You know, it's good. A bunch of other trash. Steve, are you calling me trash because you ran it one time? Uh, I was going to say a a, a different swear word, but then I used trash instead. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, we play uh, three different 1E modules as well. Where mm-hmm. Griffin GM'd one, Steve GM'd one, and then I GM'd one. Uh, and we all kind of played kooky characters since we knew it was a module and wasn't going to last forever. So you guys will probably enjoy that as well. Yeah. Really yeah. zany. We get up to some goofs and gaffs over there. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> Great there's only There's only like 60 episodes of content on that uh, Patreon feed right now. Wow. For $5 only. a month. It's, it's only growing. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, you're in a shipwreck in like the inky blackness. Of, I think you had to swim down for like 10 minutes to get here. I think we're in over our heads at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're definitely down under. I wonder if I guess I guess it's not necessarily deep enough for the pressure to be a thing. Have you guys ever seen like a shipwreck or do any of you like scuba dive or any of that stuff? I really enjoy scuba diving. I. Don't get to to scuba dive very often uh, anymore, but I did study abroad in Australia. So I did a live aboard three-day scuba diving excursion uh, along the Great Barrier Reef, and I actually did see some sharks. So we, um, after a full day of diving at like multiple different spots, we were like at our spot for the night, middle of the ocean like you can't see land around you there's nothing but water and the one boat we're on so we go for the night dive and you have your little flashlight everybody in the group has their flashlight um and we go down deeper and deeper and they say like you shine your flashlight around and that's really the only spot you can see is where you're shining your flashlight animal eyes are reflective so if you see glowing eyes that means 
there's something out there, the further apart they are, the larger the creature is. (laughs) So we're going deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden, four eyes glowing are coming towards us. And they get closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, we can see that there are two reef sharks that just keep swimming up towards our group. And they're not stopping. They just keep coming Mm -hmm. closer and closer. And like right at the last second, they dive right below our group and keep on moving. But that was the closest I've ever been to. That's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah. Close. Yep. yeah. I think you got the rest of us beat pretty good. You know, three feet away is the closest I've ever been to a shark. <laughs> Do, are, are reef sharks like the most common out by the barrier reef? I assume because they're called reef sharks. They are pretty common. And sharks generally will leave people alone. But some of the reef sharks can get a little aggressive. But we were in such a large group. Once I think they could actually see us because we were mm-hmm. shining a bunch of flashlights in their eyes, they just avoided us because they weren't going to mess with a group of floating humans. That's that's so weird. I never would have even thought of shark eyes being reflective because they're so like inky black. Mm-hmm. Like a doll's eyes. Well, that and like I always thought I always thought animals eyes being reflective was like by virtue of having that like second lid or whatever that second, you know, the the second eyelid that, that a lot of animals have for water. Yeah. I, I don't know much about that. I just saw it. Yeah. I thought that was specific to certain animals. Like you have those reflective strips on the road that I think they figured out how to make like from dissecting cat eyes. They're called like cat eye reflectors or whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I thought it was certain animals could be wrong. I was well, going to make a joke that those were made out of eyes. I didn't realize that's actually where they come from. <laughs> They're made out of eyes. That's how they control the deer population. <laughs> Cats are always watching. Has anyone else scuba dived? Nah. I'm terrified of water. I've done it in a pool, but I've never, I've snorkeled a lot. But I, I guess Emily's the only one that I can ask then. How, how quickly would you say you can descend in, a, in like a controlled dive? Like, are you descending like, you know, 100 feet per minute? Or, because I know you have to, you have to balance it with the pressure. Yeah, it's. At least for the dives I was doing, because I'm just like open water certified. So you don't do much. You don't go too deep. Uh, Some of it's kind of how quickly you can clear the pressure in your own head. Because as you go down, actually pretty quick, you'll feel Mm -hmm. the pressure from the water. So you have to be constantly trying to regulate your pressure. So some of it is just kind of your your personal ability to equalize your pressure as you descend, because it gets uncomfortable very quickly if you're not pressurizing yourself properly. And that that's another key thing too when you're like going up and down. You have to remember to keep breathing because the air in your lungs will uh, expand as you come up. So if you're not breathing it out, um, that's really dangerous. I hate that. I hate thinking <laughs> yep. about that and well, the bends hmm. and nitrogen and whatever. Yeah, I was I was only asking because last episode when we talked about you guys kind of having to dive down for 10 minutes to get here. I wonder how, I wonder how deep that, that would kind of make it. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd think with water breathing, water breathing isn't really like a, um, it doesn't do anything for the pressure. So presumably your character has dealt with that on the way down. And that's why it took 10 minutes. I think that makes sense, but I still think that would make it a couple hundred feet deep. That would terrify me. No, so <laughs> some of the just like general ascent rates, Uh, around 30 feet per minute. Some people can do 
60 feet per minute. Okay. Yeah. So like we're, we're talking, we're talking 300, 400 feet down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where you guys are now. And and I think that kind of, that equates to where light kind of stops being able to, I think after about a hundred feet, it starts to get pretty dark. Yeah. Colors change a lot too, as you get deeper. So that's always interesting. The colors you can see, even though like the coral's really bright and colorful, it's very different than if you were seeing it like up above water. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I um speaking of shipwrecks, I was almost a part of a shipwreck. Oh. One time. What? Yeah. So and this was the only time in my life that I've ever had had one of those like premonition dreams. <laughs> oh, you were final destination. I, I, I like final oh. I mean it was like Final Destination, except I I went on the roller coaster and didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> but I had this I had this dream. So um, I was my family was in the Caribbean, and the island we were on didn't have an airport, so you had to take a ferry to. We were leaving, and you had to take a ferry to the larger island where there's an airport. And I had this dream the night before about like the ferry capsizing, mm. and we uh, we got on the ferry. We're about halfway out, which means we're like equidistant from the two islands in the middle of the ocean. It's about a 40 minute ferry ride. And the, the ferry driver had rubber banded the throttle. So it was going maximum speed and he wasn't controlling it. So he was just messing. He was messing <laughs> yeah, like around. A good he, ferry driver, yeah. he was messing around up there uh, and didn't, you know, wasn't adjusting the speed for when a wave hit us. And so we were going max speed. Uh, like wrong direction into a wave and the ship tilted about 45 degrees and all the people below deck start screaming because the water came up like over their windows on the, on the, on the first floor and and the people upstairs. So we're, we were below this time for whatever reason. And you see the, you know, the water creep up all the way past and the people on top were freaking out because they're just they just have a railing. Mm-hmm. Like they're just sitting in seats with a railing. It's not like you buckle into a ferry. So they're like tilted this way. Nobody fell off, but uh it freaked me out because I had the final destination dream the night before. <laughs> I hope he's not a captain anymore. That seems like a very risky. <laughs> oh yeah, thing he, to do. he did he did get fired. Yeah. We we because like That's the ferry was owned by like the, the hotel that we were on. It was like the hotel had its own dock or whatever. So they like assured people that had been on the ferry that the dude got fired. That was probably good. Nice. You know, good PR move, I guess. It's like when uh, I used to get rides to to high school for my one buddy and uh, one, and he was a, he was a a real maniac sometimes. Uh, The one time he's like, Hey Steve, check this out. And we're going like, Christ, I don't know. 60 80 miles per hour down southwest highway which is a residential busy street in south chicago and um he throws it into cruise control and hops in the back seat is leaning over and is just steering and i'm like dude no get back in the front of the car you're gonna have to hit the brakes like soon It was very dangerous. Did he lose his ferry driving license as well? Yeah, they didn't let him back on boats after (laughs) As they should. Yeah. Well, you guys, you got any uh, weird water experiences? Shipwrecks, sharks? So, I mean, I've seen multiple shipwrecks just because I've lived near, like, the coast and stuff before. 
um, in some of the lakes, like Lake Superior, there's like a couple on display shipwrecks, but that's not very cool. Um, I have been afraid. I'm one of those people who does not like deep water. I will never go on a cruise. I'm never going to go on a cruise. I'm sorry. I know that you've enjoyed them in the past, honey, but we are not going on a cruise. I usually just enjoy the food and booze. You can put that in any setting for me. Pretty good. On (laughs) land would be great. Um, I don't like the things that are in the water. I have had many bad experiences my entire life. I had a catfish almost bite my freaking toe off when I was a baby. All these things. I am afraid of fish and water. And that's fine. You are aware baby toes look like worms. Yeah, I'm aware. And I was wiggling my toes. It was my fault. I get it. It's fine. Anyways, (laughs) I um, have always been. This has been a fear for a long time of mine. Yet we like were on the water all the time as a kid. So I've dealt with it. But at the same time. Um, my friend, she went to Eckerd College. That's down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, and she had a bunch of marine biology courses. Um, so I go down and visit her during one of the college breaks. And it wasn't her break, but it was my break. And that was perfect because I went to Florida and basically stayed for free, right? Perfect. So in this college, number one, it's a very open atmosphere. And that's fine. But like they had also like you could just paddleboard wherever. And so she is telling me she gets out of class and she's telling me how she just learned all about uh, the this one type of sharks like uh, breeding ground and how that all works. And they only come up when, um, you know, they're hungry. And then she tells me where it's at. And then she's like, hey, do you want to go paddleboarding? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go paddleboarding. Um, so she neglected to mention the area that she was talking about is um, directly outside of the channel, like the channel that we were paddleboarding in until we were on the pedalboards. And she was like, yeah, so what I was just talking about where the, the breeding grounds are is right over there. And she's like pointing to this opening. I'm like, all right, so we're obviously staying away from that, right? Like, <laughs> and she's she said, absolutely. And so we go in and there were um, some manatees and that was really cool. And then we paddleboarded out to like this little island where there was a bunch of birds kind of all over the place. And it was really close to the opening of the channel. And uh, I was like, I would like to turn around. I am already a little uncomfortable because I can't see the ground because I'm afraid of water. But this was a cool experience. We turn around and a fin comes coming comes towards us so fast and of course she's been taking like marine biology courses and she knows what this is but she wanted to mess with me a little bit i don't think she realized how severe my fear of this was and she's like i i mean it could be a shark but it's it's fine it, it's a, probably a dolphin and i was like that doesn't make me feel any better and so we're now paddleboarding fast <laughs> um and it swims directly up to us and starts nudging the paddleboards and she obviously at some point she told me it was a dolphin. But at the same time, that's still terrifying because she went on this entire thing telling me about how they only come up when they're hungry. It's uh, you should never worry about it. And if you, if they are hungry, right, like, I mean, they're only going to be looking for things that look like their food. And I was like, does do we not do we not look like food? And she's like, a little bit. It's fine. And then, <laughs> and then I, I, we see this fin and it just comes towards us. And it's like nudging her paddle boards the entire time. Like we got pushed almost like too short and then it kept trying to come between us and it was like lifting our boards it scared the absolute crap out of me i was i was not doing good i was like shaking and paddleboarding as fast as possible back towards the manatees of safety because the manatees don't let anything come in their area <laughs> and so Except people yeah well they they allow people cuz they have like i believe they have like a conservation program for the manatees and i looked up this college to make sure i had the name right now they have a shark conservation program so 
Oh. Anyways, that was the paddleboard in the shark area. The the amount of adrenaline I had, I was like, I need to go, uh, like bike riding or run a mile, and then I need to fall asleep promptly because I'm not doing good. (laughs) I thought I was gonna die. Chris, any water experiences? Yeah, I went. uh, I went sailing in the the Bahamas for two weeks uh, when I was younger. I'm like a forty footer. Went through a couple storms, got a healthy respect for the sea after that. They called his ship the Direption. Yeah. It's still in the bottom <laughs> somewhere. You know, where there's some dolphin sightings in a bay, and I jumped in, and then I realized that uh, in murky water, dolphins look a lot like sharks, especially when mm. they dip in and out of your vision so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, being in a medium where something can move much better than you is is frightening, especially when you're not, you, you can't. You know, you don't you don't get a fix on them. You don't know where they are after they uh, dip out of sight. I think that's one of the things I like the least about encounters with marine animals is just how quickly they move. Hmm. Well, I mean, we're about to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just opened you just opened a door to a shark and a sea hag, and uh, I need to give out a hero point here. So. I think because we're going to be busting through this ship for the rest of the episode, I'm going to toss this one over to Diego. Aha. Uh, so this one is from Alex. A wise old man once said, when in doubt, color spray everyone. Collateral damage can be damned. Yeah, I'm not playing a caster this uh, this campaign. Otherwise, I would color spray the party. What's Diego's color spray look like? <laughs> Black and white. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, when last we left our heroes... They helped Ashani Daughtry uh, into the Church of Abadar, which was swarmed with sick, sick people. They then had a meeting with Cressida Croft and actually met one of the doctors that's been brought in by the queen to, to start dealing with this situation, Dr. Devilus. Then they got a lead from Cresta that, uh, you know, to maybe look into this ship. Uh, and I think Diego already had had suspicions about it because of the quarantine lantern on it. So with water breathing potions in hand, you made your way into the middle of the Jagare and started searching for this ship. Pretty successful. You found it relatively quickly, I think on your second dive and took care of some electric eels that were sitting in the hole. It looks like the hole has like split on a pile of rocks down here. And now you're in kind of the the aft of the ship, and you've just opened a door revealing a brine shark and a sea hag. And I need us to enter initiative. Oh, boy. All right. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Yes. I rolled an 18 for 30. Okay. Mir's got a 30. What about Diego? 24. About Vec. 16. And Sylvie? Only a 15. Okay, well, at the top of the round, it's Mir. Wow, a lot to decide. (laughs) I am going to start by buffing the party because I do know movement is difficult right now. So I'm going to cast Loose Times Arrow. It is a two-action cast. I can cast underwater, right? Yes, you can. Okay. Verbal. Yeah, because I can breathe, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, So it will actually get everybody because it's up to six targets. And this will give us a really strong start because it's until the end of my next turn. So this will allow us to have a really good strong start. 
you pluck the time stream like a bow, pull one string back, release, and watch Preach fly. All affected targets are quickened. They can use an extra action to step or stride. Oh, so. that's nice. Great like underwater. Mini haste. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a it's a good good thing here. So uh, that'll be my very first action, and then I will use my next action because that's two. I'll use my next action to command Figgy. God, Figgy's gonna have to go one on one with a shark for a minute here <laughs> to swim up and chomp. Okay. And so let me roll. That is a 19. Beats beats. Ooh. Yay! All right, this is gonna be good. And that's gonna be 2d8 plus three piercing damage for a um, total of eight piercing damage. And I think, I think what he's gonna do. Um, he's moved and attacked. So he gets an extra step. Uh, right? I don't, or know no? if, I don't know if minions do. I think they might just be getting. Minions, but six creatures. Minions, by the rules, cannot be affected by. Well, I don't believe they can get more than two actions, even if you haste them. However, I also think they can be slowed, which kind of bothers me. I don't think they can. They may not be slowed. Slowed is it happens when you gain actions on your turn. They don't gain actions on their turn. When you command it, they gain actions from that command. So I don't think slow affects even them if either. he automatically has an action because he can act on his own. Oh, uh, let's see. I I mean, like technically, I st- uh, could I attack in the middle of a move action because I have plenty of movement. I just don't. I don't know. No, you would need to move to where you want to be and then attack. Okay, so then I'll, I can move here without an issue. That's I I have thirty feet of swim. So okay, that's I'll fine. Just, you I'll can move, move there. there. You can move there and then attack. Yeah, that's fine. That's what I did then. <laughs> and that's everything, because Mirror is not going to take any sort of step or stride right now. Yeah, I just wonder if you had just given Figgy no command, if he would have had two actions. Right. And then you could have taken your last action. I would love to bite twice. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, he's never going to have three. I can't ever bite twice, He can't yeah. have three, but Mir might have one action. I hear you. Like, you might not have had to command him. He could to have, stride. He could have had his single action, and then when he gains that single action gained another action from the spell. I don't know. Well, I think we're playing it correctly here, so... Uh, it doesn't matter because he doesn't need anything else anyways. Yeah, so and Mir can't do much with her single action right now. Diego's up next. Okay. I'm a little worried about both the sea hag and the shark, so I think Diego is going to... He's going to use his first free stride to stride up 10 feet. And then another one to go... 10 more feet to be right there. And it's not flanking anymore. I think I'm just going to try to attack the sea hag initially. Okay. So swing coming out at her. I think Remember I, to take your minus. Yep, minus two. I think I value maybe hitting twice more than I do the extra damage on rage and the super lowered AC. So that's a 13 on the die. Uh, it's not going to hit. I think I'm just going to roll again and maybe not spend a hero point. Well, so you... Oh, yeah, okay. So you had your hasted move. Uh, not a 13 on the die, a, a 13 total. total. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is... Yeah, that's not going to hit either. I am slowly uh, swinging my maul around through the water, and it's not doing much. It's my sure. turn. It is the Sea Hag's turn. I need Diego to make me a will save. Okay. As she locks eyes with you. That's a 16. 
Okay. You are frightened one and slowed one for one round. Ooh, okay. She's now going to attack you. Uh, normally, it would you'd be flanked, but uh, you're already flat-footed, so let's see how she does. 25 to hit. That hits. Okay. It's 11 points of damage. That's her full turn. Vec, you're up. Selve, who you hitting? I have my eyes on Zatag. All right, then. So, Vec kind of feels like he's being pulled on a string forward with that really cool spell from Mir. He's only going to move up five feet. That's all as far as he needs to go. Five, 10, 30. Great. So, effectively, he can start his turn now that he's a little closer. I'm going to go ahead and try to intimidate the hag with a little intimidating glare. Okay. Uh, probably is not going to do it. This is against the will DC, of course. 16. Nothing doing. All right, but then I still have two more actions, and I'm going to need both the non-threatening brine shark and the unrelenting sea hag to make reflex save against an electric arc. Absolutely, they can do that. Channeling the eel. <laughs> yes. All right. Ryan Shark here with a 23. Success. And then the Sea Hag here with a 27. I don't think that is not a critical success. Okay, so they're so both regular successes. Take some damage. Ooh, I did roll maximum. That is 12 total. Okay, so six each. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to frighten for Sylvie, but, or really anybody that wants to beat up on the Hag, but that is what it is. Next in the order is Sylvie. Sylvie has been staring at this hag right past the shark, and she swims into the room saying, The only mother I have known is my aunt. My birth mother, she left me with my father's family with nothing but a note. And then she swims up uh, using uh, one action to swim and then uses the uh, extra speed uh, to take that extra stride. And then she gonna attempt to grapple this hag. Ooh, against my fortitude wow. DC. Yes. All right. I'm hoping she maybe will be a little weaker there. That is a 23. Meets beats. Nice. Yes. That's awesome. All right. Uh, so now she is grabbed until the end of my next turn, unless I move or your target escapes. Oh, that's very cool. That's huge. Uh, uh, and now you're in panache. Yes. Yep. So she gains panache from that. Now you can still attack with your last action at a at your first yep. map, uh, but you know you've made her flat-footed to you now, so that's offsetting in a good way. Yeah. Let me give that a try. Why not? Ooh, dice aren't really helping me out. That's only an eleven. Yeah, eleven's not going to hit her. It's the brine shark's turn. The brine shark can see its master in danger, and it is flanking this large cat. I don't know how often brine sharks get to eat hairy things, but it's going to try. Probably a delicacy to them. <laughs> First attack here. Oof, 27. So close to a crit, but just a hit. It's 13 points of damage. Ooh. I think it's going to try and chop you again. 21. That's going to hit, too. That's 16 points of damage, and then it's going to, with its final action, grab you. Okay. 
Yeah, you can really see some uh, some blood in the water now from those hits the shark scored on Diego. So we got two creatures grabbed in opposite <laughs> directions on this combat, uh, on, on this battlefield. I think that was such a big game changer, Haley. That yeah, that spell allowed everybody to get because they. I mean, the the shark was the closest to you, about twenty feet away, and the hags another ten feet into the room. So yeah, big battlefield play with that, and it is Mir's turn again. All right, Mir's going to shoot her longbow at the shark. Okay. I think you have a good range increment with the longbow. It is halved. Yeah, I have plenty. In fact, I get more issues about being too close. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Oh. Do you think your volley gets halved? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say it does in water. Don't at me. I'm making this snap right. judgment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I, feel, I, think I that, feel like that might not be rules as written, but... It just I makes, think it it makes sense, yeah. right? It's that, like yeah, I, it, it I fires if you're if you can only fire it ha- half as far. It makes sense that the part where you're less accurate is half as long. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got an eighteen. Eighteen against the brine shark, unfortunately, does not hit. I did not think it would, and then um, my next action set of actions. So I'm going to use two actions to cast ray of frost. Ray of frost. Okay. And I will, um, I, I guess, I guess Figgy and Mir will just focus on the brine shark. So then you guys can focus on the hag. So, uh, let me see what that looks like. Remember the ray of frost is going to take your multiple attack uh-huh. penalty. Yep. And I rolled a four. So that's uh, not yeah, going to hit so with a nine. Ray sails wide. Yep. All right. So Figgy is now going to chomp. Hopefully that is a 13 on the die for a 22. 22 does chomp. Yay. Nice. And that is going to be 11 points of piercing damage to the shark. Ouch. All right, Diego, this is tough. You're grabbed, you're slowed, you're frightened until the end of this turn. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on there. I still think I want to try to target the hag while Sylvie's got her grab. So even though I've got a much lower to hit, I'm going to try to make a swing out. Sounds good. Actually, I might as well just try raging first to get some temporary HP and swing since I'm already frightened and those don't really stack together. So my AC is not really impacted too much right now. So swing at an eight. No, I'm going to spend a hero point to reroll that. I got a six on the die. Okay. Worse. Okay. Sucks. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a bummer. It happens. That's your rage, one swing, your slowed, so that's your turn, right? Yes. Okay, so you're no longer slowed, you're no longer frightened now, but you're still grabbed, which really doesn't do too much for any of you guys because you're already flat-footed. Just keeps you from moving. It is the sea hag's turn. Oh, (laughs) you grabbed this sea hag and she just snarls at you. (sighs) You... You little upstart changeling. You think you can come here and grab me? Uh, and I need you to make me a will save. Uh-oh. Does she Is she able to cast a spell? This isn't a spell. Oh, no. This does not have the manipulate trait. She looks you right in the eyes. All right. I get a bonus. If this is a effect that is a sleep effect or effect that causes or alters dreams. It is not. Okay. That is a 19. 
you get this feeling of intense distress when she looks in your eyes. Um, just this, this feeling that this fight isn't going to go well, that you're doomed, and you become much like Diego, frightened one and slowed one for one round. Ah. Then she is going to attack at you, at Sylvie. See how she does. Not great. Only a 19. Ah, I should have nimble dodged. That hits with her being, being with frightened. all of her, yeah, negatives. Okay. That's going to be 12 points of damage. That is the hag's turn. Vec, you're up. You can see all this blood in the water in front of you. It almost makes it difficult to see all your friends. What are you doing here? Okay. Now I can do some liberating commands here, but I believe breaking out of a grapple takes multiple attack penalty into consideration, correct? Well, not on a, liber- on a liberating command that acts as a reaction, which, um, which would give him a reaction at his full attack bonus if he was going to um, break out using attack versus athletics versus whatever. Mm-hmm. And now the implications of grab aren't as bad because we're already flat-footed here. It doesn't really do much for me other than I can't move around, right? I still will have my AC. Yeah, like, he's not really manipulating stuff as Barbarian. He's just swinging, which doesn't have the manipulate trait. Um, So, So I mean, but you could certainly cast it on the hag so that I can get out of Sylvie's... uh, Yeah, it's not a bad (laughs) idea. To show her we're friendly. Yeah. Mm. We just are trying to talk. It's just a hug. Sylvie's trying to give her a hug. <laughs> it's a hug. All right. Uh, Vec is going to point towards Diego, and he's looking down at his grandfather's staff. He points it out at Diego, and oh, I hope this thing works. And he casts Guidance at Diego using the staff, because it has that in there. Just free Guidance, great. Nice. Um, and then... I'm not sure if I want to go level one heal or level two. How bad are you off, Chris? With rage, I'm about at, at just a half right now, so I'm exactly bloodied. 40 down. Okay. Ooh, 40 down. You know, he's yeah, he's he's gonna drop a bomber on there. Two, the two action heal level two, two d12 plus sixteen plus two. You have Gakin right next to you too, so. Ooh. If, if like, either you or Mir wants to, like, battle medicine gig. Yeah, yeah. That's true, yeah. Good call. That is going to be 29 points of healing. Oh, my nice. gosh. Huge. From one D12 brother to another. Thank you. <laughs> I got you, fam. Okay, Sylvie, you're up. Remember that if you do want to keep her grabbed, you do need to maintain the mm-hmm. grab. It's really difficult with that uh, multiple attack penalty and there is a critical failure for grappled and it's not great. Well, you're in panache right now, so. Sylvie is going to use her confident finisher to attack this hag um, and she's gonna, she's not gonna uh, maintain that grapple. That's okay. The hag still remains flat-footed until the end of your turn, regardless of whether you maintain it. All right. Dirty 20. That hits because she's flat-footed. Yeah. Nice. nice. Oh, okay. Finisher. My Kukri's a little stronger now. That is 19 points of damage. Ooh, that's good damage. Mm-hmm. That Kukri really 
found its place on this hag as Sylvie was uh, holding her in place. Uh, so then with, uh, because Sylvie is slowed, she is going to put up her shield as she lets okay. go of this hag. Sounds great. Uh, the This brine shark, I mean, it has dug into Diego. Uh, Diego is flat-footed normally, um, but it has to release Diego to attack because its only attack is Jaws. So I think it is going to make a strike at Diego. I don't think that'll do it with that a 16. Yeah. The uh, dice hovered on 15. Really oh, did, yeah. Five. That was, ooh. Speaking about Jaws, for people that don't know, this is just such a fun fact. Um, the third installment in the Jaws franchise was originally pitched as a comedy titled Jaws 3 People Zero. People and Zero? <laughs> maybe the biggest miss of all time, not doing that. Uh, oh, man. I guess I don't really need a flank, so the Brian Shark is going to step or step swim behind Figgy, and Figgy has dealt so much damage to it, so it's going to try and attack Figgy. Is not and it's going to miss Figgy. At the start of round three, it's Mir's turn again. It is. All right. I do think I'm going to do Ray of Frost this time first, and then I'll do my arrow. Um, so let's let's see. All right. Who are you frosting? The shark. The shark. I'm still focusing on the shark. 23. 23 hits the shark. There you go. Yay. Awesome. That is good. Um, oh, that's weird. Did I hit cat? Okay. And that's going to be eight damage. Um, it is cold damage. Mm-hmm. That's that. Uh, and then I think I will go ahead and attack with my, yeah, with my second map bonus. Ooh, Ooh 23. That also hits. Yeah. So you're firing an arrow at it, right? I am, yeah. I am firing an arrow, and that's piercing. So that is going to be seven points of piercing damage. Ouch. Yes. All right, and then hopefully Figgy can uh, take some some extra chomps here as Figgy gets an 18 on the die with 27. That hits. Yes. All right, and then damage. That's going to be 11 points of damage. Piercing. That's a dead brine shark. What's it look like? Uh, yes. Uh, Figgy, Figgy can taste that blood in the water, and he turns a little sharkish himself, and he just tears into it and chomps some down. He doesn't need uh, any worms today. Yeah, his, uh, he hurts his teeth as he chomps into this thing's belly and like pulls out a license plate. <laughs> <laughs> a wagon license plate? Yeah, a wagon plate. Mm. Pulls out part of a wagon wheel. Delicious cartilage. Half of the half of the direction sign. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Diego, you're up. So everyone in this party has really been putting in work, except for one cat. I want to change that. Yeah, I want to change that. <laughs> so, Diego, with his maul moving absurdly slow through the water, is going to attempt to keep swinging. I think first, maybe, it might make sense to try to demoralize. Imagine the strength it takes to swing something that heavy a, a legitimate like, sledgehammer. through the water to, to make impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Insane. That's why they give you a penalty. Diego stares right down at this hag and I believe I get a bonus because I'm physically threatening with intimidating presence yep whatever I've got and just roars bubbles and froth coming out of his mouth 20 to demoralize 
20 does not demoralize. <sighs> okay, well, hopefully these swings will instead. <laughs> 21 to hit. Beats, beats. Yes! Yay! Okay, finally. Here we go. Here's some actual damage. Pretty low damage, but that is still 16 points of bludgeoning. And another swingaroo, just uh, just to see what we can do. 17 on the die. That is another 21. Yep, that <gasps> hits exactly. Nine plus five. Yeah, four. Okay. Another big old hit. Let's see if you can really connect with this one. Well, that's a, that's a max on one die. 21 points of damage. I'm really hitting the 21s this, uh, this combat. Hmm. You should play Blackjack. <laughs> I should, shouldn't I? Hit me! That is a very dead. Nice! Sea head. Crunch. You all can hear the audible crunch of the maul breaking the head against like a masthead or something in this boat. Nice. It ripples through the water. And now that you're out of combat, you can you can see that. You know, in the, in this area, it it appears to be a crew quarters. You you see like hammocks drifting around in the murky water, um, and there's a haze of gore in here. Both now your own, but uh, you think like the shark had been feeding probably in here. There's half-eaten eels like churning in the water, and you do see a. Well, I, I need you guys to make a perception. What does the hag have in its pockets? I would like to know that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rolling better now. 22 to perceive. 25 for Mir. Dirty 20 for Beck. 13. Oh, Figgy got 27. <laughs> you find a secret door. A secret hatch, given that it's, it's appears to be to the upper deck. Yes, secret hatch. Um, but it is... Um, I, I think it's so difficult to find because it's very swollen here and the, the it, it almost swells past like the, the cracks that you would normally see in a hatch. Um, so it almost looks like part of the ceiling. You also realize that there, there, the hag has an item on her. She's like, she's wearing something that, um, you know, at first glance kind of just looks like maybe normal clothes or maybe a little bit more robust than clothes, but you realize like it doesn't seem to be affected by the fact that it's like underwater. It seems like it's, um, you'd think in this environment, it'd at least be like moldering because it'd be just because it's been underwater so long. This isn't, Hmm. uh, I would allow a magical tradition check here. Let's do it. Absolutely. 16, 18, 21, also a 21. Okay, DC 20. This is a set of plus one explorer's clothing. Oh, nice. So it has the armor potency rune etched on it. Nice. Does anyone wear explorer's clothing just naturally? It would normally benefit someone the most that doesn't wear any armor. However, it does have a plus five dex cap. So if there was somebody that was very dexterous that... Uh, like more dexterous and armor would benefit them that might also help uh, otherwise you could you know transfer the rune I I wear leather armor and I it, that has a four dex modifier cap and a plus one to AC 
likewise, I wear leather armor. I, I think it does well for me. Frankly, I don't get hit a lot. So like having this special clothing isn't going to help me out. Honestly, I think our best bet is to hold on to this and flip that to either the armor that Diego or the armor that Sylvie wears. Yeah, that's where we're going to get where it's where we're definitely getting our most bang for the buck. I will throw it in our bag of holding. One of us frontlining should get it. Yeah. I, and, you know, you guys kind of sit out for this late morning, early afternoon. So you definitely have the opportunity, you know, by the time you get back to start transferring some runes as well. Uh, if that's something you want to do. I'm going to need a check for making your way through this, this secret hatch. It's so swollen shut. It, it almost seems worse than, than some of the other doors. Maybe this part sank first. So it would be an athletics check to bust it open. Here I go. Will the if the crowbar gives me the bonus, I'm taking that bonus. Too. Yes, the crowbar will give you the bonus in this instance. Twenty-eight. You're able to open the hatch. Boom. Inside, you see a couple of things, along with a few other bits of ruined furnishings, the tattered sheets of a canopied bed, twists like ghosts above the snapped wooden bed frame. Knotted amid the linens, a drowned man idly floats in the room's murky waters. A closed footlocker sits on its side at the far end of the room. So there's a dead guy in here, and this certainly appears to be a captain's quarters. Does he appear to be a captain? Is he is he wearing the garb of a of a captain? So you go over to the to the dead guy, and um, he he's not wearing like captain's clothing. He's actually kind of cloaked in robes, as you may be like push on him and he slowly floats around. You see something that's pretty macabre. The body doesn't seem to have been dead that long but with like the increase in sea life brought into this wreck by this hag you can see like crabs and stuff have eaten all of his soft meats. His cheeks are all full of holes and his tongue and eyes are gone. It seems like they've left his nose intact because it's like thicker, but like it, it see it, a lot of his face is eaten. The rest of his body seems okay. You think the sea life might have been attracted to his head first because he does have a wound in his head. And at that point, I'd, I'd allow a medicine check. I can do that. Come take a look at this body. I think there's there's something strange afoot with how he's passed. And the, the rest of you, I would allow, like, perception checks if you're not actively looking at him. Mir got a 24 for medicine. Yeah, so Mir, you examine this guy, and you, you can tell right off the bat kind of the, the first part of what I said, that damage to his face has definitely been done by, like, sea creatures. But the gash on his head doesn't look like it would have been fatal. Huh. Looks like it maybe would have knocked him out. Okay. Further, you can tell that this body died of drowning. Do we have any perceptions from the group as Mir's kind of checking this out? Why not? 21. 17. 17. Oh. You guys are looking around and you, you've all noticed this footlocker that's on the ground. Diego and Vec, your eyes immediately go to the corner of the footlocker where you can see just a small little patch of like skin and hair. And that seems to line up with that wound that this guy has. Like, he, he bashed his head on this footlocker and went unconscious is the prevailing theory. Sylvie, with a 21, you're more interested in kind of the state of the footlocker 
and you put your hand along the seam and realize that it is watertight and that the seal is intact. Oh. Ah. So if it's watertight, should we hold off on opening it? Yeah, then? that's what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. So Sylvie, as, as we're kind of investigating this footlocker, holds her hand up to the party. The seal here has not been broken yet. We should return it to the surface before we investigate further. Otherwise, we would risk ruining whatever is inside. I also think we should take this man up. He's a casualty of something that's happened here, and he may have a family that's looking for him. Well, Mir, as you're, as you're kind of performing this autopsy, mm-hmm. you recognize a holy symbol around the man's neck. Uh, I'm going to need a religion check to identify it. That is not something I can help with. I think personally I know what this is going to be. Uh, but a 15 might not get it. It's a little low. This is one of the holy symbols of like the core deities in Galarian, so it's not it's not overly difficult to recognize, but it does make your stomach sink. I know it. Because I knew it. it is the skull-backed fly of Ergothoa. Mm-hmm. The holy symbol of Ergothoa around this man's neck. And upon seeing that, Vec is going to put his hand on Mir's shoulder. Careful there. This man was up to no good. He's worship of the pallid princess herself. The first undead, Ergothoa. Then, do you think we really should be touching this body and generally being in the water around it? No, no, no. Only bad and pox and plague follows them around. But then we should not leave it here. It could infect the old water column. And it may be evidence of a connection. I guess that's fair. Uh, anybody want to volunteer to carry the body? There were symbol might be enough. I don't know that we need the corpse. The marine life seems to be doing a fair enough job of taking it apart as is. And I don't think that anyone, at least any upstanding citizen, is going to be looking after this one. Yeah, and you guys would know reasonably that, like, it's a huge river. There's no way, like, whatever this guy's infected with, if he is, there's no way he could, like, infect the water supply from, like, 300 feet down in the okay. Jigare. Alright, we'll cut the symbol off then and take that yeah, with us. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the matter of the footlocker. It's rather heavy, but you do have a badger that has a swim speed. So I think I think Figgy, now medium size, could probably take it up. Absolutely. Um, this is the last part of the ship to investigate by your reckoning, but um, it, it does seem odd if this was a decoy that there's a dead guy here Um, and something tying this boat to a larger organization too if the the symbol is to be believed well what if he just missed the time or something though that's what i was thinking he like in when the ship got hit or something like he fell hit his head and then couldn't get out in time like this was an accident and then he drowned Mm -hmm. yeah did get if i mean you did think his death was consistent with drowning and that the Head wound wasn't a was enough to knock him unconscious, but not enough to kill him. He easily could have missed it because of that. Like, oh man! And if they did a sweep of the, if they did like a sweep of the boat or something beforehand, and he was unconscious, nobody would know. Boy, okay. 
So we got a holy symbol. I think he's going to carry the chest. Anything else? We've investigated the whole ship. How about we head to the surface, pop this thing open, see what's inside? Indeed. So you guys all make it to the surface. Um, no issues. And you're able to you're able to catch up with your little robot that you took out here. I don't know how things like that work in the in the Mariner community. I don't know if you like anchor yourself to a buoy or something, because a boat like that wouldn't have like a 300 foot deep anchor. You know what I mean? Well, we would have come prepared, of course. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you would have. I'm sure there's a way in the Jagare to like anchor yourself without anchoring yourself that deep. Trails End has, has a spare anchor they would give us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I think you, I think you like tie yourself off to like a buoy or something. If you, if you're a smaller boat. I think that's generally how it works. Yeah. yeah. So you guys, you know, you, You've all studied uh, maritime law and, mm-hmm. and you yeah. know how to do things. Everything's in order. We're flying the right flags. You maybe head to shore before checking out this footlocker. The footlocker is not locked. It just has that watertight seal. And so when you open it, it just kind of like, you know, it has that that little spurt of air as if it, uh, it had been under pressure and then brought up, but it didn't break. And you find a lot of things in here. Ooh. You find several items that appear magical to Vec as he scans this this whole thing. It's like shining magic. You do find a tome with the skull-backed fly on it. And Vec, without a check, because you know who you're dealing with, you know that this is serving your hunger. Mm -hmm. And it's intact in here. It's worth quite a bit of gold. The Ergothoa Bible, essentially. Yeah, exactly. For our purposes, I've just included all of the gold for the sellable items in here, the non, the non-item items, in the in the gold. And so you find between the gold and platinum that's in here, and um, between the items, 123 gold and eight silver. Ooh. Wow! Huge boon. This must have been like this guy's entire life savings cash. You also find a strange liquid, which I would allow a magical tradition check to to figure out. You find a kind of like a bag of what looks like salt, but it, it seems magical as well. You find a rune, but you don't know what properties it has. And you find this strange set of gems. If you hold it up to your hand, it almost looks like knuckles. Yeah. And then you find this like long rolled up piece of cloth that seems magical as well. What would you guys like to uh, check out first? I can throw the identify things in the chat. So, oh no, that's cool. That is cool. So you guys can roll right in the chat on. So my first one, I rolled a 27 for these, for the first thing. Oh, the private roll. The liquid. Yeah. Uh, Diego, you got a natural 20 on that. Yeah. Wow. Sylvie got a natural 20. What? Vec, you got a 27 without a natural 20. Wow. Uh, so uh, that's going to get you That's gonna get you everything in here. Wow. I don't want to <laughs> make you keep rolling. So That's big stuff. So in here you find plus one hand wraps of mighty blows. You find that the, the liquid is a bark skin potion. This bag of what appears to be salt is salt. It's what's known as life salt. You can hit an undead creature with it, and it deals persistent positive damage. 
the undead must succeed at a will save or be unable to attack you as long as it continues taking the persistent damage. As long as you're not taking hostile actions. Seems like a really good Vec consumable, I'd say. <laughs> so he doesn't get hit. The knuckles that you found are what's known as a combat flesh gem. Whoa. You can basically implant it in your knuckles. You can put it at the base of your fingers. It works like brass knuckles, but it increases your latent unarmed attack to a D6 from a D4. Huh. Now, is that a consumable or is that just always on? No, that's always on. Whoa. That's, a, that's an item that you implant on yourself worth 160 gold that just changes the, the die on your uh, unarmed on your, or on wow. a fist unarmed attack. So very cool there. And then this rune is what's known as an energizing rune. Wow. So you gain a reaction. The trigger is you take acid, cold, electricity, fire, or sonic damage. The effect is the weapon becomes imbued with the triggering energy type. It deals an additional 1d8 damage of the triggering type until the end of your next turn. That's so cool. So your weapon can essentially, if you, like, say I hit you with a lightning bolt, you can, as a reaction, use your weapon to, you'll still take the lightning bolt damage, but you... You kind of soak some of that into your weapon, and then for your whole next turn, your weapon deals an extra 1d8 of electricity damage. That's pretty insane. I'm thinking about Diego for that. I don't really have a lot of reactions I use that often. Like, that seems like something that could come up. Yeah, I have way too many reactions, so that would be good for you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's <laughs> such a cool rune. I didn't remember. I, I, for some reason, I've never looked. I haven't looked at that one. That's a new one for me. Yeah, I think, you know, that that flesh gem is really cool for pretty much anybody, but I know that Sylvie has to have an open hand, mm -hmm. so that might give her a bludgeoning option, you know, yeah. that's at a higher die, which still meets the agile finesse requirements. Plus, can you just have a hand wrap somebody blows on while you wield other weapons, too? You can, yeah, you can. So you can do the hand wraps, plus the flesh gem specifically states that it is modified by hand wraps. So, like, that... You get the D6, and then you can do whatever you want to hand wraps, and it applies to the flesh gem fist instead of them not stacking. So, like, if you put striking on the hand wraps, that'd be 2D6 for a punch instead of 2D4. So, kind of cool there. I know the barkskin potion is kind of like a, you know, it'd be good for pretty much anybody. But as you look through serving your hunger, this seems like a very ornate copy of the Ergothoan Bible. And you notice very quickly, blasphemy. Every time Ergothoa is written in the book, it's crossed out and there's a name written over it. What? And that name is Andason. Like having identified the book, Vex probably the one who is looking at it and he's like, oh, something strange here. Every time they refer to Ergothoa in this book, I don't see any other inaccuracies, at least that jump out to me immediately. But... Whoever wrote this replaced her name with somebody else's. Some Andason. Is that a name that means anything to any of you? Uh, Is there any check that anybody could roll on that, Griff? You could make a society check. You could, um, you could potentially even gather information on this. Although that would take a little bit more time. So I'd say, like, if, if Sylvie's society doesn't, doesn't make it, maybe Vec could ask around and probably get the same information. Okay. Ooh, I got but it. Sylvie's got it. 26. Yeah, 26. 
you're maybe thinking back to some time that you guys have spent in like Cressida's office, for instance, when you've been like searching through files, she's kind of given you guys like open file access to a lot of things that you've been, you've been kind of working on. And uh, you've seen a file with this name several years ago, this file talked about a small village of Bjorindy on the Northern shores of Nadal that succumbed to a sudden and devastating outbreak of bubonic plague. Nidalee's investigators found evidence that the cult of Ergothoa was led by a woman named Andason and had engineered the outbreak, but the high priestess in her cult had absconded. Evidence that she'd fled aboard a ship compelled Nadal to alert authorities along the western coast of Avistan that Andason was a wanted criminal and that if apprehended, she was to be returned at once to Pangalay to face charges of mass murder. And Dason was never caught. And how recent ago was that? It was recent enough for Cressida to have this exact notice. That's where you remember this from. You remember this. Corvosa is one of the cities that would have been notified of this wanted criminal. So it was maybe maybe months ago. Vic, I would I would also allow a um, religion check. Okay. See how this goes. Nineteen. So Vic, you're very much a people person, uh, but you're very you know attuned with what religion means to people. I think, and what you glean from like this crossing out is that not only would it be like an affront to uh, the Ergothoan faith for someone to do this, so it was probably done in secret, but this person was likely obsessed with Andason to the point of worshiping them, maybe even like deifying them. And if it was that cultist that you found on the ship's book, which presumably it was, all of this was his as far as you know, the the cult members that are following Andason are undoubtedly very loyal. Mm. Uh, and this would, I guess, kind of connect the two things. You think the cult followed her here. You think her, like, devotees oh. that escaped with her are also here. Oh. This man might have worn the holy symbol of the pallid princess, but I think his interests were quite fixated on this Andason instead. He, he really had a mind for her, and... If he's here, well, he probably had good reason to suspect she was as well. It's worrying that this leader sees themselves as a replacement almost to Urgothal, or at least their followers do. I I fear that the plague being spread in this city might be another method they're using to prove that, that they that's well, I suppose I don't I don't understand the motivations of an Urgothoan. What what drives them to spread the plagues and diseases they do is there is there some reason that they they do this I, i've kind of rolled okay on these knowledge checks griff and i know as a player can i can i talk about it a little bit or do i yeah I, I, think you, <laughs> okay. I think you can i mean yeah. the, the the spots that you maybe wouldn't know you have the book in mm-hmm. front of you know you have you have her holy book right in front of you it's in plain common uh, Diego, what what I know about Ergothoa, and I admittedly probably incomplete because I, I don't worship her, clearly. They're obsessed with, with gluttony and worship of the self. And um, 
indulgences, wild overindulgences and orgies and um, anything they can do to achieve pleasure, whether that's from eating things that they should or inflicting harm on the others for their own entertainment. It's all twisted and weird and gross, but um, they're foul people with foul ends. Mir wouldn't know this, but cool fun fact about Urgothoa is not only was she the first undead, but it's uh, rumored that her return to the mortal world is what started disease to begin with. Like, disease didn't exist, kind of. (laughs) That actually I didn't know, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's like one of the weird history Mm -hmm. (laughs) things I have gotten. Mm -hmm. So the diseases and plagues are an aspect of their gluttony, or...? Yeah, essentially, you would would read kind of plain as day, one of the biggest I guess it would be like a obedience is to like is to like stuff yourself full, drink a ton of wine, and then after that eat rancid food. Mm. And the goddess of gluttony is supposed to keep you from getting sick. Ah. Um the the real obsession with disease for Ergothoa is that spreading disease can spread death, which can which can, which can propagate undeath. And if you think about, you know, because we all have a lot of experience playing Pathfinder, if you think about all of the, um, a, a lot of undead creatures have a disease as part of the core of their attacks and that kind of thing. So it it's a way of spreading undeath. It's like kind of the best way of mass killing. And that's why Ergothoans are kind of obsessed with it. Okay. And they think that they will, you know, if they want to keep worshiping and stay alive, they think that they will basically be remain clean they'll either remain clean or they'll become undead and be fine because that's mm-hmm. also a-okay in there yeah. mm-hmm. it, it kind of it's a real strange duality of of worshipers where like some are on the gluttony side some are on the undeath side and then there's like a small group of them that are specifically on the like plague side uh-huh. and the each side kind of comes up with a rationale for why disease is okay like either I'm gonna get protected because I do this obedience, or hey, if I get something, I'm gonna come back as a ghoul, so it doesn't really matter. Gotcha. I guess in the, the one piece for undead that kind of clicked with, with me when you guys were talking about that was that like some undead ravenously consume without end as well too. So very much hit the gluttony it's, on the yeah, head. It's like no no matter which one of those facets that Griff described, you're really like anchored to. It all comes down to at its base like self indulgence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like um, in real world deities like Dionysus cranked to 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, it's like, it's not only hedonism, but it's like hedonism to death. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you all for the extra the extra info. So I, I think our path forward seems pretty clear then, right? We got to tell people about this. Yeah, you at least got to bring this stuff to uh, Cressida. We definitely ought to do that. Yeah. yeah. This is very worrying information. And then I guess it's finding Andason, or at least the people that follow her. Yeah. yeah. We're going to arrest her for Andason exposure. Andason exposure. <laughs> well, that, that is what happens when she touches you with the disease. Yep, That's Andason yep. exposure. That'll be an episode title at some point. <laughs> Down the road. <laughs> so, yeah, you certainly can make a stop to Cresta and explain what you found. She would, you know, upon the mention of Ann Dason, she knows the file too. She would, you know, she'd pull it out just for cross-reference, but I think Sylvie kind of got the the high-level points about, about who she is and what she did. The most unsettling thing about this is that she was able to kill 
a whole city with a disease that is known. This is an unknown disease. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if it truly is her, the mastermind behind this, who knows what this disease is capable of compared to something like the bubonic plague. Cres- I mean, Cressida would kind of just say, what did I tell you about keeping an eye out for Ergothoans? Here we go. Now, unfortunately, between the last time we talked and now, we haven't rooted any sort of cultists out of anywhere. We haven't heard any sort of word of... Uh, none of the guards have found any suspicious activity with, with cultists of Ergothoa. That being said, if in this time they're able to spread disease and they're able to be out there proliferating it, you'd, you'd think they have to be buried deep to, to be avoiding notice. I'm... I'm hoping we're going to be able to figure out exactly how to get at the Sandason if she's in the city. From what you're describing, it sounds like this cult had a cultist sail that ship into the bay to goad our men into shooting <laughs> the plague ship down. If there was a body on there, he likely didn't make it off before, you know, before the cannon fire hit the ship. You all have this, um, this wanted poster on your walls. Have your men heard any rumors about Endesa and her cult, if they're in the city, or where I might even start looking? That's the thing. We were told about two months ago to be looking out for ships, Little East ships, to, you know, that might be bearing this criminal aboard. If she, I don't believe she came to the city by ship if she made it here even before uh, you know King Eadred's death we you know were were pretty strict with Nidalee's trade we would have known if there was a non-trade ship uh, there would have been a record of it so I'm thinking she must have got here by foot somehow or by you know by land I don't I don't even know the first place to start looking for this cult because there are no churches of Argothoa in the city I was about to ask. I don't think they would be tolerated well, would they? No, no. <laughs> this isn't Geb. And she kind of like lowers her tone. The only evil deity that we do have a church of in the city is Asmodeus. But <sighs> I don't think their followers align with the cult of Ergothoa at all. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't think of a benefit that would that would tie the two together. Nothing about Asmodeus's church would would warrant like fostering a, a cult within them so I certainly wouldn't think that that's a viable place to, to really be poking our noses into. In fact we've been able to get them you know, willing to start providing healing services as well as the other churches so I don't think it's another church that's fostering them we might have to, I don't know take this, take this information to Dr. Devilus or something just so they know that we're potentially dealing with a, you know, a, a disease mastermind. But you, something that's interesting to me is that you'd said that Rolf Lamb was working on a disease. And before any of this, you know, he was a necromancer and a serial killer. There's never been like a manufactured disease that hit Corvosa before this. You think maybe because of that information, he's met Andesen and he's working with her? be an awful coincidence if we had two of them in one city completely unrelated I would think well it's just not in his MO, MO to be uh, you know 
crafting diseases. He's crafting golems, right? So that means that Andesin has to have been here since before the Rolf Lamb's journal entry, which means she's been here for at least a week or two. I mean, that might all be well and good and probably correct, honestly, but what good does that do knowing a probable timeline? That's not going to help us figure out how she arrived in the city or where she might be held up. No, but it does mean if we can catch Rolf, we can likely make our way to her. Oh, sure, sure. But, I mean, we're fresh out of leads in that as well. We know he has some other hidey holes around the city, but no good idea of where they might be. Well, we'll keep looking, and I'll keep you notified if we if we do find anything. But people are getting sick, and I know you're a resourceful lot. Mm-hmm. So while we're out of leads, whatever you can do to help the people of this city would be a good thing. Maybe there are ways that you can slow the spread of this disease. There might be other leads in the other direction, you know? Mm-hmm. Someone might be working on a cure outside of this, uh, outside of... Dr. Devilus. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that does seem to be working that I thought was quite odd. I've heard reports that Eel's End is under quarantine. They're not. DeVargo has shut down business. He's not accepting anyone. Not accepting anyone onto the docks. You all have interacted with him. It might be worth talking to him. I I don't think he shuts down Eel's End for anything. No, I haven't heard the man shut down Eel's End in all the years he's been running it, so... If he's taking it serious, he's the first one to be doing so. Point of order. Is he keeping infection out or keeping infection in from spreading? I'd imagine he's keeping infection out. He's not letting anyone in. All right. If we could determine where the the point of origin of this disease or the timeline of the spread, that might help lead us back to finding the people that need to be held accountable. If we can investigate that, it could give us a lead. Right. I'd agree with you there. And while I don't have a have a lead on the point of origin, I do think there were a couple of quite curious things that, that Ashani was talking to us with when we all met. It sounded like priests of Abadar were getting sick before dealing with the sick. That seems quite strange. You'd think it would be difficult to, you know, start a disease in a church. Perhaps, but if the Sergothoan sect is smart, they would target the, the people most able to help cure the disease before the rest to try to reduce their effectiveness. Right. That's what I thought, too. Target the target the healers first, if you can. I'm not quite sure how they did that, though. Might take some investigation to determine that. Right. So... Did he mention how it spread? How the disease is? Yeah. Being in contact with someone else with the disease... It's a contact disease. Uh, it can it can spread in the air, but it's most virulent when you uh, touch those open sores on people, uh, that rash that they start getting. I'm not sure, but is there any part of a religious ceremony for the Church of Abadar that would include touching? Because you could pretend to be part of uh, the church. Anybody know? I allow a religion check. They do touch a lot of money. Uh-huh. The coins. Emily, uh, I got a natural one, but we're late enough in the session where things are going to refresh or I'm just going to hero point it. Okay. Natural four, 12. Uh, go ahead and make me a society check, Sylvie. 
Sight check on coins. I'm uh, I'm that, fixated on this now. Mercantile lore. Yeah, that there, <laughs> there's no um, nothing, no religious ceremony where like the Abadar church like all holds hands and, and does it. So like person to person contact, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Which makes it even weirder that there's like nine. Yeah. There were like nine priests affected the first you know the first time the disease happened that didn't touch a like didn't provide healing. I got a seventeen. Yeah, you know, the Church of Abadar is the only bank in Corvosa. They don't touch a lot of people, but they touch a lot of coins. That is how it's spreading. We need to go learn about how they receive money. If priests aren't doing healing, they must be counting coin or something. We gotta, I I want to dig into this so badly. Mm-hmm. We've got to sanitize the coins. Because imagine a, a one diseased coin going into an entire bag. And yeah. then in circulation, it'll cause havoc. And that could easily spread everywhere in town if people are buying and now that doesn't that doesn't quite solve the fact that the poorest areas in town seem to be where the disease is most prominent. There could be a couple vectors they're introducing. Like they don't they don't have to confine themselves, these these evil folk to just one. But I think, you know, I think Sylvie with that check and and even with the help of Vex check that just like Abadar priests don't like there's no ceremony where everybody's like in a room really uh, that they do. They're primarily bankers and healers. Those two things combined would lead you to believe that like the prevailing theory might be they weren't touching anybody. They were touching coins. What we need to do is implement an ethereal fungible currency. All right. Hold on a second. Well, one that is you don't you don't touch it to trade it or whatever. It just happens on another plane. Uh, you know, cloud-based. You'll have miners in the in the cloud, whatever, working on it. We, we can we can work the whole details out. We need to switch currencies. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not touching each other. Ethereum. Ethereums. Perhaps our friend Mister Daughtry might be able to grant us entrance into the temple, and we can see how they do their banking. I'm not sure that the Abadarians would want us seeing all of that, but it could be worth it. I'd also like to know if there's been any charity events type of so- type of thing happening in the poor sectors. Oh, sure. If someone was handing out some charity or handing out uh, some coins or even tossing them. If you're in a wealthier area, then people aren't going to scramble to pick that up. In a poorer area, someone might. If it's all coins, that, that would even spread it more. Sure. Well, you have a couple different directions you can go. So I think we'll find out what you do. When we continue the curse campaign next week. Oh my goodness. Go. The Bestow Curse Podcast is a Hideous Laughter Productions show. Hideous Laughter Productions is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Curse of the Crimson Throne is copyright 2016. Curse of the Crimson Throne and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. Paizo, Pathfinder, their respective logos, and all Paizo titles, characters, and artwork are properties of Paizo Incorporated and used with permission.